The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Wait, you've got to be kidding me. Let's get this untwisted. Hello, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of Don't Get It Twisted. I am so darn excited for this episode because this is something I am not only so darn passionate about, but I hope it's something that you are interested in as well. For me, especially as an outsider of a lot of different industries, I'm always so curious about how things work behind the scenes. Like before I started YouTube, I knew absolutely nothing about it other than I was a YouTube watcher. And when I would learn things, first of all, eyes totally opened. Second of all, so fascinating. Like it's just always, in my opinion, so fun to learn about things that you're not familiar with or just different business ways that you don't always encounter. Like even talking to accountants, like my dad's an accountant, when he talks to me about his stuff, I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually fascinating. So yeah, I do have a full episode on actually how and why I wanted to start my YouTube channel. That is a fun story. If you haven't listened to that, you can go listen to that episode now. I think it's like one of my first few episodes, but this is going to be a little bit more of the logistics, a little bit more of the business side of things, and just the wild, wild west world of YouTube. So this question is, how did you get started on YouTube or grow on YouTube without having the fanciest equipment? Great question. So I think that equipment, especially in regards to YouTube, is beyond overrated. I think a few years ago on YouTube, there were a lot of creators that were pushing for very overproduced content. But in my opinion, that's the complete opposite of what YouTube is. It's fun that people are just filming things on their vlog cameras or on their phones and just uploading it because that's literally the point of YouTube. It's creators that are just people like you and me that just want to share a little bit more of their life online and it's supposed to feel a lot more personal. Personally, I don't like it that much when something is totally overproduced. It looks like I'm watching a Netflix special. I'll go over to Netflix if I want to watch a TV show. When I got started, I would use my iPhone. I had an iPhone X or I still have an iPhone X. So the camera was honestly pretty darn decent. I would say a big mistake I made was I used my front camera instead of my back camera. Um, The back camera is always better than the front camera. So if you are somebody that is using your phone or you're getting started, get yourself a little tiny tripod. I think I got one for $12 or $15 from Best Buy. Best Buy is also your new best friend when it comes to getting equipment for anything regarding TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. They actually have like a digital creator section now, which is almost comical, but very, very handy. It's full of tripods and different cameras that are really popular, um, even selfie sticks and things like that, which is a little bit outdated, but you get the point. So yeah, I just got a little mini tripod for my phone and I would use that if I was even just sitting in front of the camera and talking or if I was moving around um, trying to, to film with just my arm. I would do that sometimes too. 
but I don't think you need a fancy camera to get started. I ended up getting a fancier camera because I really wanted one. And Keith's dad's very, very, very into cameras. And he was like, no, 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 you need something better. You need something better. So I ended up getting a really cool camera. It's a Sony Alpha 660. I would say, honestly, I don't know enough about cameras to use that camera well enough. I think if you are very technologically savvy, go for it, get that kind of camera. But I think the quality is awesome for what it does for me, but I think I kind of want a different camera that's a little bit more user-friendly because quite honestly, I press record and hope for the best. So that's not the best strategy, but don't get bogged down on waiting for the best equipment or starting a channel once you get a certain camera, blah, blah, blah. It's totally not necessary whatsoever. There are so many different apps also that will help you with editing. I did a collaboration with VlogEasy a few months ago, which is honestly such a darn cool app and it's very, very affordable. They even have a free option and it's so darn helpful for especially the type of content that people are creating now, which is very fast paced, takes out a lot of breaths when you're speaking. So it's got those jump cuts in it. That's very, very trendy on YouTube, on TikTok. That makes really good content. So something like that is a great app. If you don't even have a computer, you can use something like that on your phone. On my computer for the longest time, I was using iMovie, which comes free with every Mac product or every MacBook. I know a lot of PC users will use an Adobe suite. I think that actually is a little bit more expensive and a little bit more complex. I don't even know how to use that. But I basically forced myself to learn how to use Final Cut Pro um, even before I got my channel monetized just because I love editing. I genuinely enjoy it and I wanted to be better at it. So Final Cut Pro is essentially just kind of like the older sister of iMovie. It is essentially the same interface. It just has a lot more features on it. I still don't know how to use it to its full capabilities, but trying every single day to learn a little bit more. And I think that's kind of the best way to go about it too, is obviously you can look up tutorials and whatnot, but sometimes you just got to throw yourself into it and hope for the best. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, and I think it's worked out pretty well for me. This question is, how did you get monetized? Which I believe is just specifically in regards to YouTube. So with YouTube, there are a few different requirements that are YouTube guidelines. To get your channel monetized, you must first hit 1,000 subscribers, which let me just say first and foremost is the hardest milestone to hit by far. If you're starting out and you're you know, trying to get to 1,000 subscribers, just know that once you get there, there's almost like a push in the algorithm that once you've hit that mark, it's easier to grow from there. So getting that first 1000 subscribers is probably the hardest part of your subscriber journey. But once you're there, you've hit the first benchmark. The second benchmark is you must have 4,000 watch hours within the last 12 months of your channel being active. Essentially, that just means you need to have people actually watching your videos. It can't be like robots or anything like that, or views don't really count as much as the actual watch time of your videos. Um, I'd say a really good way to try and get more watch hours is to just make more content. And obviously you want people to watch your content and whatnot too. But if you have more videos for them to watch, it's easier to become monetized because obviously there's more people watching your videos or there's more videos to be watched, which increases your, your watch time. I think there's also a few other minor requirements as well. Like 
you know, you need to be a real human, blah, blah, blah. Like they want to make sure that it's not just a robot that's getting money, those kinds of things. But those are kind of the two biggies that you need for your channel to be monetized. Um, and then after that, the monetization is honestly the weirdest thing. And it really doesn't make sense. And I've had it for a few months now and it still doesn't make sense to me. But essentially you get paid once every single month through Google, which is just the parent company of YouTube. Every single video has a different CPM. And what that means is that essentially every single video has a CPM, which is cost per like thousand views, essentially. And depending on how many views you have and how many people watch your ads, et cetera, et cetera, um, there's this whole algorithm that works out how much money you would get paid depending on that CPM. So an average CPM could be anywhere from like $5 to $20. I think I've seen some over $20, but that's a little bit outrageous. But truly, it's not a straight equation. It's not like 100 views equals $100, not in the least. Um, and honestly, it takes a bit of time to even make a little bit of money. But it's totally worth it once you do get monetized. And then the more that you upload, the more that they'll push your channel and the more chances you have for advertisers to place ads on your videos. This question says, what do you think people don't know about being a YouTuber? I would say people probably just think, you know, like I just dilly dally around all day long. I film a video of myself um, working out and then I upload it and then I get a paycheck. You know, like I feel like they probably just don't think that there's much work that goes into it. I remember when I first got fired, you know, right when COVID got started and I was kind of like, well, shit, I guess I'll just do YouTube in the meantime. Uh, I think a lot of people were just like, oh, so like, what are you doing now? I'm just, you know, using YouTube in the meantime, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, I would say more so adult, probably just think I'm I don't know, sucking my thumb all day long, just doing absolutely nothing. Uh, when in actuality, I feel like I am never, ever not doing something. I feel like the hardest part about doing YouTube is it never feels like there is um, an end time to your workday. Like I could wake up in the morning and I would need to be doing something until I go to sleep at four in the morning when I'm done editing. You know, it, it just feels like it never really ends. I feel like what you see is just the the glamour and the end result, the finished product, which is great, but you don't see all of the hours of hard work that went into the editing process. I think a lot of big YouTubers now have editors, which I'm so envious of. I think editing is the most strenuous part of the process, quite obviously, you know, because it can take a few hours to film a video, but once it's filmed, um, it's the the power of putting it together in a coherent and fun way that actually makes it a good YouTube video. So I think people probably just think it's it's all glamour and glitz and whatever, but um, it's actually a lot of hard work. And I feel like I've learned so much from being a YouTuber that I didn't know beforehand. And I have so much more respect for other creators. Um, but I do also think that a lot of creators take themselves too seriously. Like at the end of the day, you're making a video, you're posting it online. Yes, I have the end goal of trying to make other people happy, but no, I'm not out here curing cancer. Like it's literally no big deal. Um, I think it's awesome. I think it's fun, but by no means do I think it is the most important thing in the world at all. This question says, how do you come up with video ideas? I think a lot of it now that I have a teeny bit of an audience can come a lot of times from you all. I will get so many suggestions in my comments, you know, asking me to try out a different creator workout or just try out a different challenge or just to do a review on something, blah, blah, blah. 
which I think is so darn fun because I think sometimes I would never think about doing a video until it's suggested to me or I've never heard of a different creator before until they're recommended to me, which I think is really, really fun and the power of the internet, you know, that there's so many things out there for you to explore. A lot of times I will see a comment that will spark another idea that uh, I'll come up with on my own that I just think or I hope will be interesting to other people. Um, sometimes I can get inspiration from other creators, but I genuinely try not to do this. Even people who make similar videos to myself, I actually don't watch them. I found that I can get too in my head, far too comparative, and then sometimes I can feel like I'll try too hard to try and make my content like that person. Like I'll become so in love with that person and I'll like their content so much that I'll want my content to be like theirs. When in actuality, people don't watch my videos because I'm like somebody else. They want to watch my videos because I am like me, I hope. <laughs> but I also sometimes will have absolutely no ideas. I feel like there are some months when I'm like, yes, this video, this video, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be so much fun, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then there's other months where I'm feeling so unmotivated, so uninspired. And that comes and goes too. And I feel like that's when my videos always aren't as good either. But sometimes I can feel that in the editing also because, you know, it's it's fun when I'm excited. You can tell when I'm genuinely interested in, in doing a video. And sometimes it's just based off of what people like also. Like people love when I do challenge videos. I think those are really fun and I'm glad that I do them. And then other times I'm like, hey, I want to branch out and try something different because I don't want to make the same 12 videos in a row also. Tips, advice for small YouTubers. Great question. First and foremost, um, persevere, which is like the cheesiest thing I could say. But I think the biggest mistake that a lot of small YouTubers make, um, and I would also consider myself a small YouTuber, but anyways, I would say the biggest mistake you could make is to stop trying. It's never easy in the beginning. It's a lot of thankless work for very little recognition or very little people even caring that you're making videos, but it's consistency that matters. It's you wanting to do this because you genuinely love to do it, not because you want fame, not because you want success or money, et cetera, et cetera. I can just tell you that there's a lot of faster and easier ways to do that. I would say YouTube's definitely not one of them, at least from my personal experience. There are easier ways to go about making a lot of money and don't do YouTube for the wrong reasons absolutely not. I also found it really helpful to find other small YouTuber friends. I now have, I would say, 10, 20 different YouTuber friends that I will consistently text or just DM all the darn time. And it's really fun to have other people in the same space as you because there are not many people in my day-to-day -day life that even know anything about YouTube. And that's not in a bad way or anything, but it's a really confusing industry. But if I get like a brand deal offer or something and I want to make sure it's legit or maybe I'm not sure how to go about it and I go and reach out to one of my friends and they've worked with that company before, it makes me feel a lot more solidified in what I'm doing. It makes me feel a lot more confident, even just feels more comforting to talk to people who know exactly what you're going through. So maybe comment on other people's videos. Um, if you see comments from other small creators on videos, go to their channel and go comment on their videos. But don't do that whole stupid thing like comment for comment, like for like, subscribe for subscribe. Um, first of all, it's very, very damaging, not only for your channel, but also for theirs. It will lead to having fake subscribers who don't actually watch your videos, which is terrible for your channel. You'll never actually get your watch hours. You'll only reach a thousand subscribers, which you can also pay for, but what the hell's the point in that? And 
also, if this is something that you legitimately love to do down the line, you're working with brands who look at your videos and your views and they see you have a thousand subscribers, but you're getting 10 views a video. Well, there's a little bit of a problem with that. It's like when you go on Instagram and you see accounts with 100,000 followers, but they're getting 100 likes on their posts. Um, either they have really, really bad engagement or they've purchased their followers and it's just really, really bad for you and your content in the long run. So don't do those things also. This is kind of fun. We have a podcast question, which I love. I want to start a podcast, but I feel I need somebody else to create a dialogue. Advice on going solo. This was the exact way that I felt when I wanted to start a podcast. I felt like I couldn't start without having somebody else to talk to. From what I've heard, having a solo podcast is actually very difficult to be successful with. I would say that I'm lucky because I started out with an audience base to actually listen to my podcasts. I don't think that I'm the best solo podcaster that there ever was, honest to God. But I do think that it helps me a little bit that I myself am a huge podcast listener. So hopefully you don't ever find my podcast too boring or too uninteresting. And genuinely, I need constructive criticism. So if you have it, give it to me. Be kind, but (laughs) give it to me if you have it. But I think it's important to have good topics, to have a little bit of a structure when you go into your podcast, even if you are with somebody else. Of course, it's always good to have a little bit of an idea. I think you'd be surprised to find out how many big time podcasters actually use scripts. I've only used a script once and I felt like it was so beyond obvious. I won't even tell you what episode it was. I'm sure you could probably figure it out. But it was it just wasn't authentic to me. And I felt that it was so awkward and just not natural. But maybe that's why those people are more successful than I am. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. But I would say that people really appreciate consistency, not only in your uploading, but also in the layout of your episodes. So if they know what they're getting into and they know exactly what to expect, maybe you have a five minute intro, maybe you have a 20 minute um, main subject of your podcast and then you go into questions, something like that, I think keeps people uh, comfortable. And also I would say just practice a lot. If this is something that you really want to do, when I wanted to start YouTube videos, I would literally practice, like put my phone up in my car and just talk to myself driving home, which is so lame looking back on. But I just wanted to get more comfortable talking in front of the camera because that alone is really awkward. Not to mention talking into a microphone sitting in my closet as I'm doing right now. Like it's not a natural thing whatsoever. So the more that you get more comfortable, the better that you'll sound and the more comfortable your audience will feel. When doing ads, is it just a click of a button to start making money? What's the process and rules? I don't know that I necessarily understand this question, but I already talked about monetization for your YouTube channel, which is genuinely clicking of a button. Yes. Whenever you upload a video, you have the option, literally yes or no, do you want to monetize this video? So maybe you would click yes, maybe you would click no. 
you can choose what types of ads you want on your video. Mine are actually all set as upload defaults. So every single time I upload a video, it just automatically does the type of ads for me. I think there are maybe four or five different options, like the ones that actually appear at the start of your video. The ads that go maybe like three, two, one, skip ad, that's an option. Banners are an option, which a lot of times pop up on your desktop. Oh, and maybe like some sidebar ones. I think those are some of the other options. So you can click to have any of those as applicable ads on your videos. You can choose if you want ads before, during, or after. You can choose when you want them during your video, at what time in the video you want them. Uh, YouTube used to have a rule that your videos had to be 10 minutes to make them have mid-roll ads, which means ads in the middle of your video, which is why you'd find a lot of creators upload videos like 10 minutes in one second because they were literally just trying to make an ad in the middle of it. But now they've lowered that to eight minutes. So just kind of an interesting factoid. But just because you place an ad in the middle of a video doesn't mean it's actually going to show up for everybody. And two, it also doesn't mean that um, an advertiser would put their ad in your video. It's not like they're specifically choosing Taylor Woods. I'm going to put my ad on her video. I think it's more like my audience, my demographic, whatever company wants to reach my target audience. Those are probably the ones that would receive their ads. So yes, I guess to answer your question, it is a little bit of a click of a button. Um, it's a pretty simple uploading process. I think the YouTube Creator Studio could be a, a whole different podcast if you actually were interested, or you can just DM me questions if you have specifics. I thought that this was at first about sponsorships, but this question says, how do you get sponsored? Do you have to reach out? So we can talk about sponsors. So it's a little bit of both. I will speak to just my own personal experience, obviously. I think the bigger that you get, the more complex that it gets. Essentially, I just have a business email. Um, it's out in the public. It's not like it's a private email or something. It's in all of my videos. I'm pretty sure it's on my Instagram. And I think because it's so public, I will get random emails, some that are legit, some that are not legit. And I was really surprised when I got my first brand deal because I was really small at the time. I think maybe I only had a thousand or two thousand subscribers. So I was confused on how these people even found me. But I don't know. You'd be you'd be surprised on how they just find these random videos. But I think a lot of times advertisers are just scanning the YouTube recommended page the same way that you as an audience member would. And if you have a video that does well or something for you, then maybe you have more of an opportunity for people to reach out to you. That's the main way that I usually will do sponsorships. People will reach out to me. Um, I will only accept a sponsor or I will only agree to work with them if I already love their product genuinely. That's just what I feel most comfortable about as a creator. I never ever, ever, ever want to promote something that I just don't stand behind. I feel like even if the paycheck is astronomical, I just couldn't do it ethically. Uh, I'm sure there are people who do it unethically, but you know, to each their own. Got to pay the bill somehow, I guess. But I would say for the most part, I've been mainly reached out to. There's only been one opportunity, I think, where I tagged a brand in an Instagram post that then launched a sponsorship deal with them, which was really cool because uh, I feel like that doesn't often happen. Like you'll tag Nordstrom in your OOTD and hope that they'll respond to you, but that just never happens. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, then on to the sponsorship process just kind of depends on what the company is looking for. Um, a lot of times it's a minute to a two minute ad or something like that. There are different types of sponsors that you can have. 
You can do a dedicated upload, which means the entire video is about that one sponsor. You can do an integration, which I think is the most common, the main ones that I've done, which is just sort of an insertion within the video. I think you can also do a mention or you can do maybe more so on your social media accounts, like an Instagram post or an Instagram story. It definitely depends on the company, but I would always steer you away from doing things that are specifically in exchange of goods. It, it depends on how big the company is. Like if it's a major corporation and they're just wanting to send you something in exchange for you talking about it on your channel, it's hard to rationalize. But the reality of it is, is that you as a YouTube creator are a walking billboard and them using not only your audience, but also you is in place of them paying thousands and thousands of dollars to buy an actual ad or an actual billboard. So when they want to just send you something in exchange for you to like make a whole YouTube video about it, uh, I would say almost never accept those in all honesty, unless it's a really, really small company or something and they just don't have much money to pay you and you feel very strongly about supporting them. That would probably be my only exception. Um, otherwise, it's just not fair to you as a creator. But otherwise, it would be, you know, maybe you'd get an amount of money in exchange for sharing a few different things about a product or maybe what you love about it, what, what your experience been with it. Um, I always require a contract. I think that's just sort of rule of thumb. And I would encourage you to do the same if this is a path that you're going down. My sister just graduated from law school, so I always have her read my contracts, which I'm extraordinarily lucky for. And she always catches the things that I would literally never know about, like just certain clauses that, first of all, I wouldn't know how to read or interpret. And, you know, she'll throw in something that will end up saving my ass. You know, um, if you don't have somebody legal to do something like that for you, it's okay. But I would encourage it if you can, but always, always get something in writing. I never will do something before I have a countersigned contract in my hands. And also just talking points. Those are also really important that a, a brand will send over to you just so you know the general idea of what they want um, the ad to look like, but I would say creator control. <laughs> that sounds weird. Creative control is also really important. Like I never want to one, say something that I don't mean or two, produce an ad that just feels so forced or fake or just not tailor. This question says, do you actually make money on YouTube or do you have another source of income? Um, so yeah, I, I do actually make money on YouTube. I previously had another source of income before COVID. I got uh, let go from my job. But I did want to make an episode about different streams of income just because I think it can be kind of helpful. But I want it to come from a place of providing you with more resources. I never want it to be like, oh, I'm just loaded with streams of income because I'm genuinely not. But regardless, I will always advocate for having multiple streams of income, even if you do have a nine to five job. I think even in my circumstance, if I didn't have YouTube right now, I don't know what I would be doing because coronavirus kicked me out of my job, you know, so I can thank my lucky stars that I had a second income and just in the nick of time too. Like I got monetized in February. I like, I was let go in March, which is just crazy. So it's always kind of a good idea to have a second set of income, even if it's very, very small, even if that means you're cleaning out your closet, you're selling things on Poshmark, highly, highly recommend it. But for now, my main sources of income are YouTube, the podcast, um, sponsorships because YouTube would be being paid by Google, but also sponsorships is an additional payment. I'd say that's probably it for now. I have other little ones, but it's, it's so molecule. It's not worth mentioning. Maybe affiliates. That's kind of important, but eh, 
This question says, did you ever feel embarrassed? 1,000%. I felt so embarrassed for so many months. I still feel embarrassed. Um, I think it's probably just something that comes with time. Um, it's probably a lot easier to not feel embarrassed when you have like millions of subscribers, you know, like there's very little embarrassment when it comes to being successful. But I think in the beginning, it can feel embarrassing because you're being so vulnerable, especially because the first people that probably see your videos are your loved ones or maybe people from high school that you haven't talked to in years that just happen to find your Instagram or your YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like the people that are going to, you know, make fun of you and, and whatnot behind your back um, are probably just jealous. I pray that those kinds of things don't happen. I'm sure they do, but I just try not to think about it. But if I let embarrassment rule my whole life, I would never be where I am at right now because I would have never started my YouTube channel. I would have never made an Instagram. I would have never made a podcast. I felt that way for so long, and that's why I waited so long to even start my YouTube channel. So I just couldn't let embarrassment rule me any longer. Like, be gone with her. This is a really great question. How did you juggle doing YouTube and social media when you had a job pre-COVID? So balance is a really great word. Definitely don't think I had balance whatsoever. I started YouTube and Instagram or doing an Instagram for YouTube in October 2019. So just, a, oh my gosh, one year ago. Um, and it was definitely hard and definitely a little bit awkward. I was so secretive about it. I just didn't want anybody to know. So that's where I feel like the awkwardness came in. But I would try and do a lot of content filming wise on the weekends. I would just film, film, film. And then I would edit for one video pretty much all week long before and after work because I was a commuter. I would commute to and from work about an hour and a half or so, maybe even a little bit longer some days. So I would sit and edit on my computer the entire way there, the entire way back, sometimes, most times actually during my lunch break on work because I was just so invested in it and I loved it so much and I really, really wanted to make good videos and it was the only thing that was making me happy for so darn long. It was all I wanted to spend my time doing. So that's why I don't think it's much balance because I was literally working on it um, from the second I woke up. I would go to the gym. I would go get ready. I would edit, edit, edit. I would go to work. I would edit my lunch break. I'd go work some more. I'd edit on my way home. I'd come home, then I'd edit some more when I came home. It just felt like there wasn't much balance, but I feel like that's just sort of what happens in the beginning. There is a little bit of a grind, and I was okay with that because I was and am still so passionate about it. And that's another thing. I think the passion just has to be there. Like You just genuinely want to be and need to be passionate about having a social media account, a YouTube channel, a podcast, whatever because the hard work has to be put in. And if you don't have a passion for it, you're going to burn out, especially if you're not doing it for the right reasons. It will be so darn evident. But yeah, I was uploading, I think, every five days or something. It wasn't a certain day of the week like I do now. So that gave me a little bit less pressure when it came to, oh, I can upload this whenever I'm finished with it. But I was so silly in the beginning because I would just want to get a video uploaded on a certain date. I would finish a video at let's say two or three in the morning and then I would just upload it because I didn't want to wait until the next day, which makes absolutely no sense. But I thought, oh, it's better if I upload a video every four days, even if I'm uploading at three in the morning when nobody in my time zone is awake, it's fine because it just shows that I'm uploading on the same dates, blah, blah, blah. But that's such baloney. 
don't listen to previous Taylor. She didn't know what she was doing. Another huge tip I can give to small creators, big creators, whatever, is not only is being consistent very, very important for you, your audience, and the YouTube algorithm, but also being consistent at the same time, the same days, every single week. So now I've gotten into a little bit of a schedule where I will post videos Tuesdays and Fridays every single time at 12 p.m., Pacific Standard Time. And I will actually schedule my video to go live at that time. So I'm not, you know, like I don't fuck it up. But this is important because YouTube as an algorithm will genuinely push your videos more when they learn that they're expecting a video upload from you at the same time every single week. And then they see that you are a consistent uploader, you're a consistent creator. Therefore, they're going to put more investment in you because they know they can expect more from you. Um, This is all kind of hearsay, but it's kind of what I've learned to be true. And I've felt that I've seen more success once I've started having an upload schedule. Um, I'm like here and there for upload schedules. I think they're great in terms of consistency and obviously in, in terms of being favorable to the algorithm. But at the same time, I feel sometimes like, oh, I just need to get this video finished because it's Monday night, three in the morning. Whereas if I had another day or two to really, really perfect it. Maybe the video would be 10 times better. I don't really know how true that is, but I think it helps you all as an audience know when to expect a video. And to me, that's much more important. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's so funny. I keep going off on long rants, and then I look back at the question I was just answering, and I'm like, where did I even get started? I don't know. I hope that this is being a little bit helpful, and I'm not just too rambly, but I apologize if I am. This is a question on pre-production. To what extent do you pre-plan your videos and podcast episodes? I think I've mentioned this once before, but I will typically do a full month ahead schedule for all of my podcasts and YouTube videos. For podcasts, it's so funny because I I post, I guess, eight times usually in one month for YouTube. And then with podcasts, it's only four times because it's once a week. But it feels like four YouTube videos a month just does not seem enough to me. I just feel like there's so much more to be shared. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I will just have a a note on my phone, which I keep like an updated calendar of the video ideas that I want to do for the coming up month. So for example, I have all of the October video ideas finished, as well as a few in November. Um, And same with the podcast. I also just keep a running list of just any possible idea that pops into my head that hopefully I could turn into a video or I could turn into a conversation for a podcast. And that's pretty much like the extent of planning out the content. Uh, Day of, like in in regards to filming the actual content, I don't do any pre-planning, which maybe is good or maybe is bad. The only thing I will ever do would be, let's say, for example, I just did a video on Alexis Wren. I will do research on like what her diet is, what her workout plan is. So maybe I need to purchase a workout plan from her uh, in order to review it for the video. Maybe I need to go to the grocery store to pick up ingredients that she would be eating for the day. That's really my only pre-planning. 
Otherwise, I feel like it can feel a bit too forced for me. I think that my content feels best when it feels more natural, more like a vlog, more like just a fun hangout. Um, that's what I genuinely like to enjoy as an audience member. So I, I hope that that's what you feel like I create with my videos as well. And same thing when it goes to, to podcasting. Sometimes I've had a little bit more of an outline really just bullet points if there are things I'm like, oh gosh, Taylor, I know you're going to go on a ramble. So give yourself these bullet points so you stay a little bit more on topic. Otherwise, I'll just kind of go into it and not put too much pressure on it. I do find that I don't have as great of content when it feels too scripted. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it feels way too all over the place, but I would much rather have a podcast feel like you and I are having a genuine conversation than me reading off of an awkward script. Like, yes, I always apologize for going off on, you know, long rants, but that's from what I've heard of from other podcasters. That's one of the beauties of being a podcaster is that you shouldn't really go into it with too much of a strict plan because then you're too focused on sticking to script. Like, let's say if I was interviewing somebody, I would be too nervous about thinking of how I can ask the next question rather than just carrying on the natural conversation. So I guess that's kind of what I try and do on my own. But at the same time, like, you know, you need a teeny bit of an idea of what to do because otherwise you'd be like, Taylor, why are you just shooting the shit on a podcast? <laughs> There's other places you can do this. Great, great question. How to deal with putting pressure on your videos, doing well, or comparison of other creators? Comparison, I think, is my number one negative trait by far. And I try not to be too hard on myself about it, but I just know that it's something that eats me up alive. And I think genuinely it comes from a lack of confidence in myself because if I was the most confident person out there and I loved everything that I produced or I loved everything that I shared on social media, et cetera, et cetera, then I wouldn't be so hard on myself when I'm looking at, you know, me comparing myself to other creators. Um, that's why I mentioned I don't watch other creators that produce similar videos to myself. I find that not only is it hard for me to be more creative on my own, but also I get way too in my head about it. And I think that um, it, it can just not be positive for my mental health. But I think what's really, really great about YouTube is that it is such a unique platform because it highlights its unique creators. Some of the biggest people on the platform have such big personalities that are so unique to themselves that even if you are somebody who uploads the exact same content as somebody else, you're going to edit it in a different way than the other creator. You're going to talk about it in a different way. You're probably going to have different ideas than them. Even if you're literally, let's say, reviewing the same makeup palette, like you're going to have a different approach to it. So yes, even though you might be uploading similar content, that's the beauty of YouTube. Like there are so many different YouTube trends that go off because people love doing their own take on it. And me as an audience member will watch 10 videos that are exactly the same topic just because it's fun to see a different way that X creator did it versus Y creator. More so from a creator perspective, it's just really easy to be so hard on yourself and to think, you know, you'll never see the same sort of success as somebody else has seen, or you do the exact same videos as somebody else. Why do they get more recognition? And while it's so easy to sit there and have your own pity party, not only is it not healthy, but it's not constructive either. And this is a little bit cheesy, but it seems to be um, my MO lately. So we'll just roll with it. I always think about this. 
Um, if you're American, you might remember Michael Phelps in the Olympics. Maybe was it 2008? I remember being very, very young when Michael Phelps was just on the top of the town. If you don't know who he is, he is a swimmer and he's in the U.S. Olympics. Um, he's absolutely amazing and probably the top in his sport. But I want to say it was either the semifinals or the finals or something like that. And he was going up against one of his biggest opponents. And it was, you know, the talk of the town. Everybody was talking about how they were going to do in comparison to one another. And it ended up being this totally hyped up event. So when the race actually started, everybody was like, oh my gosh, who's going to win? All eyes were on Phelps and this other guy. Well, what ended up happening was, if I'm, I don't who knows if I'm telling the story right, but just roll with me. Michael Phelps ended up winning by, I want to say, like 0.04th of a second. Something ridiculous. Like he could have blinked and he couldn't have won. You know, like it was so darn crazy close. But there's footage of the opponent and Michael Phelps seconds before they're about to hit the end of the pool. They're finishing their last lap. And in this footage, it shows that the opponent is looking at Michael Phelps trying to see if he or Michael is going to win. And if we're going to like be super cheesy here, people kept saying over and over again, Michael was sticking to his own lane. He was the one that was focusing on himself. He was focusing on his strengths, his swimming ability, and he was just thinking about the finish line. Whereas this other guy was just trying to beat Michael Phelps. Like he was so preoccupied with whether or not he was ahead of Michael Phelps or not that he ended up not winning. And of course, I don't really know if that's the actual reason why, but it's fascinating. Like if he would have been paying attention, if he would have been sticking in his own lane, maybe he would have won. Please look this up. Like if you have any hint of an idea of what I'm referencing right now, but bottom line, it is so easy to compare yourself to people that you might think are your competition, but really in the long run, you will be so much more successful when you focus on you and your audience and your engagement and you don't give up even when you feel like you're just comparing yourself to every other creator who's doing the same types of videos as you are. You are unique. You're offering something different to the platform that nobody else has ever offered before and your voice matters. And that is something that needs to stick with you because it is so easy, especially in such a digital space to constantly be looking at other creators and seeing how successful they are or how they've gained more subscribers than you, blah, blah, blah. And trust me, I've been there. Like I made a whole podcast episode on it and it's absolutely pathetic to even listen to. But it's so easy to compare yourself to other people when really you are your own biggest competition. Don't let yourself and your negative thoughts about your performance get in the way of you succeeding. <laughs> That's my high horse for the day. I'll get off my soapbox. Uh, I s watch me like get that story 1000% wrong. But if I'm a true American, if I remember it like it happened, it was really, really fascinating. Okay, this question says, when would you say the right time is to try to start your own YouTube channel and how to make it grow? The right time, Miss Kayla, is now. Literally, the right time is right now. I waited for so many darn years for me to finally gain like an ounce of confidence to start my own channel. And I kick myself in the foot every single day that I didn't start years earlier. I am not kidding you. There is always going to be a better time. There is, you're always going to want to say, I'll do this when that happens, or I'll do it when I have enough time, or I'll do it when I finally do this, that, or the other thing. Excuse my French, but fuck that. 
there is no better time than now. And it is so beyond cliche, but I need to give you the advice that I couldn't hear myself and that I was too nervous to take myself because I was just, again, letting myself come in between me and my own dreams. And that is just so beyond stupid. And of course, in the beginning, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be putting in long hours. You're going to probably have more of a rough time in the beginning than you do once you're more successful. But that's how the most successful people are. You have to grind. You have to make a few sacrifices here and there if this is genuinely your passion. And if it's not, that's okay too. You know, sometimes there are people that are just a success overnight and that can happen also. And maybe that's you, but how are you going to know if you don't try? You know what I mean? Don't want to be that harsh person that's yelling at you right now. But somebody in your life needs to tell you the things that you already know, but you just don't want to hear yourself. You always want to take the easy route. You know, you always want the quick fix to anything. It's like weight loss, for example. Like, of course, we all want to be in the best shape of our lives. But if it was that easy, then everybody would do it. Same thing with YouTube. Like, there's a reason why it's so rare that people hit 100,000 subscribers, even 1,000 subscribers. It's rare for people to have their channels monetized. But how are you going to know if it's rare for you if you haven't even started? So there is no right time. There is no wrong time. The, the right time is whenever you want it to be, which I would encourage to be right now. I kind of needed a sign from the universe. And for me, that was my Italian fest. And it just sort of launched me into finally doing something I'd always held myself back from committing to. But I will never tell you that I regretted it because I do not. I'll never say that it wasn't easy because it was not easy. I sacrificed a lot. I gave up a lot of my time. I spent a lot of sleepless nights on my computer editing for hours and hours on end and for 10, 20 people to watch my videos. And yeah, some of my videos were really bad in the beginning. And yes, I've privated a lot of them. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll come out of the cuts. But it's so important to just get started and don't wait for the perfect time. Just just do it. I neglected the second half of this question, which was how do you make your channel grow? The biggest thing is for organic growth. I think that is the most important thing you can do. Don't try and have any cheap cuts. Don't try and pay for things be yourself. Don't try and copy any other creators because they're successful for who they are and you'll be successful for who you are. I think one legitimate tool that was really helpful for me and I would encourage you to look into also is called TubeBuddy, like YouTube, but just TubeBuddy. I think there's a free option. There's also a subscription option that essentially helps you tagging your videos. And there's also a, a small community feed with TubeBuddy that just helps smaller creators kind of get started. I think that was extremely helpful for me because I never knew how to tag any of my videos and dealing with the YouTube algorithm can be very, very confusing, especially in the beginning. So it just sort of helps to deal with the algorithmic side of things. Um, but I'd also always encourage you to produce content that is beneficial to others. Because I think it's kind of just the easier route to just want to start vlogging or to just upload videos of, of you doing something in your life, which is great. And I definitely suggest that. But I think if you are specifically looking to grow an audience, if you, you want to spread joy to others through your videos, it's important that you create videos for your audience. I think once you have an audience, of course, it's a lot easier to just make vlogs because people will love them and they'll watch them and they'll support you doing whatever. But it's important in some ways to have a bit of a niche. 
like for instance, I feel like my niche is a little bit more lifestyle slash fitness slash challenges slash whatever the heck makes sense on my channel. But people sort of expect that. And so they know what they're coming to my channel for. I really rejected that idea for a really long time. But I think if I would have listened to it a lot earlier, it would have been easier for me in the beginning um, rather than me just, you know, hoping for the best with my content and hoping that people will find it. You do genuinely need to be sharing your content, whether that means on your Facebook page or in your social media or with the people you love or with other small creators, find ways to share your content genuinely. And again, please, please, dear God, do not sub for sub. Just don't. And we'll end it on that. Love you all so much. Let me know if you want a part two of this because there are so many darn questions. I'd feel more than happy to give you a part two if that's something that you're interested in. If I didn't answer your question or if you have something, you know, rarely specific, please DM me at Taylor Woods with two L's on all of my social media. Love you all so, so darn much. Hope you're all staying safe, staying healthy, getting into the spooky season, my friends. And I will see you next week for another fun episode. Love you all. Stay safe. I keep saying that. Goodbye. (laughs) 